Chase and Mimi, I'm so happy to have you guys on the show. I have loved you for so long. I had Mimi on my show, so this isn't like the first time, but I got to meet them in real life like two months ago. Oh, yeah, we hugged. So yeah. <laughs> we hugged. Yeah. We hugged. So beautiful. Um, I love your guys' story. I love what you put into the world. You're just both such wonderful, beautiful people, and you're doing the good work and you're fighting the good fight. And I just, I love everything you're doing. So you have the craziest love story you were married divorced back together never heard anything like that before so how in the world did that all go down oh yeah do you want to start yeah we we love telling the story so it's it's no problem at all um we are childhood sweethearts like from spokane washington middle class 90s kids you know like growing up on the disney channel spending summers at the lake Literally, Megan was my first girlfriend, my first kiss. I didn't kiss another girl until I was 26 years old. Authentic, real, beautiful, like high school romance. I mean, like Dawson's Creek yeah. level corny childhood <laughs> romance. And we grew up just like having a ton of fun. It was bliss. The environment was evangelical Christianity, which was like very heavily influenced, not necessarily like in our practicing life, but just like the structure and the way that relationships are defined. And although we kind of like just had fun and played as we were in high school and college, we were heavily encouraged before we moved in together to get married. And so we did. We we followed the script. We went to college, both got great degrees, planned to make a ton of money, get the house, kids, like literally the mainstream script for happiness. And we uh, jumped into marriage in our early 20s, three years into it. I'm working public finance. I'm traveling all over the country, completely whipped, completely wasted, losing myself in the process, barely having much connection at all, like in our relationship. Yeah. And we get three years into this very young marriage, having no even hint at what we had as this like beautiful childhood romance mm-hmm. and ultimately decide to split up. Yeah. It's like, the stresses of adulting um, when you don't have any tools for healthy communication or just, you know, relationship, like what that actually looks like. Um, (laughs) Even though we had, you know, great parents and everything, like it's sort of just assumed, and I'm sure you guys will understand this to some degree. It's sort of just assumed in the evangelical Christian world that if you both love Jesus and if you both, you know, follow God, that you'll, that he will bless your marriage. Like how many times have you heard that? Right. And it, you know, so we just weren't prepared for real life and adulting. We were like literally babies. Um, I look back now and I can say that. And, and so we just got so far removed individually from any sort of balanced center, right? Any real connection to our soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it. And then piling on, you know, the stresses of jobs and rent and, what are we going to do? And and we want to make this much money and this and that. And, and we just totally lost the pure, real love connection. Like we both still loved each other, but it, it wasn't that spark, that pure, innocent love that we, that was so easy to come by when you're teenagers and you don't really have any cares or worries in the world. Um, other than just like hooking up, <laughs> that's basically it. And then, you know, we just, we just weren't prepared. So I was very far removed from, from any sort of, uh, healthy relationship with myself. And as you guys know, I'm sure you talk about on here all the time and in your, on your platforms that like, you first have to get this right. Like you can only love a partner as much as you love yourself, like truly love and how you treat yourself is probably pretty close to how you're going to treat your partner. So we were both just shells of ourselves, which of course it doesn't make for a balanced, deep, you know, uh, connection. Yeah. And you're groomed in that, the background that we grew up in to be codependent. And so when things start to, <laughs> you know, it's like when things start to surface, you start pointing at the other person, like, Hey, you're not doing that thing where you were supposed to do for me. You're anymore. not making me happy or Hey, you're changing. You know, for me, I got into college and realized that this Christian faith thing was not working for me. Um, I couldn't quite get on board with the rationale. And so I kind of denounced the faith when we got into our marriage. I really denounced the faith. I got really into like, Hey, what are these things called psychedelics? Hey, what are these kind of like esoteric ideas? I think it's a little more, you know, a little more grand, if you will, than the the old man in the sky with a long beard. 
And because that change happened and we were in this codependent relationship, there's a threat to the relationship because it's unexpected. It's undefined. And with, with that sort of like difference, we found ourselves like 10% deviations away from each other, like daily, weekly, three years into this thing. Yeah. We didn't even like recognize each other hardly. Yeah. And, and so I pretty abruptly, pretty, um, coldly, pretty ruthless. I basically gave Chase (laughs) this, um, I don't want to say ultimatum because it wasn't necessarily a choice. It was just, we had plans to move down to San Diego where we live now. And, uh, we were two weeks away from moving and I just had a breakdown and I was just stone cold face. And I was like, I'm not going. And I was so like unhappy. And I had convinced myself that it was because Chase was supposed to make me happy and he was not, you know, fulfilling that. And so the answer was then to split. I will be happy if I just, you know, well, clearly this wasn't it. So maybe I need to find my person and that will make me happy. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really messed up on my part and I'm not proud of how I handled myself. Um, it almost feels like I'm talking about a different person because it is so foreign to me now, but I also don't want to just project and like remove myself because that is in me. It is me, but I was just in such an unbalanced place. We both were. And so Chase kind of took the, you know, the approach of like, fine. F you. I'm out of here. Yeah. I was like full, like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to take my shit and go, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to get super handsome. I'm going to live it up in Southern California. And, uh, you know, just like full egoic revenge mode. Yeah. And, uh, we both, we both kind of went off into this, like, let me figure out this quarter life crisis thing that we're, <laughs> I'm going through, uh, yeah. figure out who I am. And we did it in all the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. It was, um, we both just completely crushed ourselves physically in the gym, you know, really restrictive dieting, getting obsessed with our physical appearances. Just totally motivated by external forces at first was, oh, we're both single now for in our in our 20s. And what is this thing called dating? And I was in Seattle and figuring myself out. Um, but it was it was actually pretty short lived um, until we both like hit rock bottom right around 2018. So we we technically divorced in um 2016. Yeah. Yeah. We separated and then our divorce was final in 2017. And then shortly thereafter, we both hit rock bottoms. We weren't talking to each other. We weren't communicating really at all. Um, but we both just hit mental, emotional, physical rock bottom, like hormones shot. My face was blowing up in acne. I couldn't digest any food. I had a rash on half of my body that was completely unexplained. It was really, really awful. And uh, I I know some of it was lifestyle related, but also some of it was just the emotional baggage and just gunk and shit that was that I wasn't dealing with, that I wasn't looking at. So it didn't matter who I was with. It didn't matter who I was dating. I wasn't dealing with what was in here and what was left over from our divorce and some things that happened in our marriage. And so I was never going to heal until I addressed that. And slowly I started to like peel back the layers and like finally look at that shit inside of me. And that's actually when I started to heal my physical body. It was like this energetic, I wouldn't have used that word back then, but it was like this emotional weight, this energetic weight was lifted. Like my skin changed completely. Like all these things physically started happening when I started to address what was actually going on inside of me. And I think Chase, you know, he can, he can speak to his story, but it was weird. It was like creepy weird. Once we came back together, looking at the timelines of when we hit rock bottom, both of us individually. And then when we started to both rebuild Things like, you know, we stopped drinking right around the same time and we started getting into uh, the self-development space right around the same time. And really, it led us to completely different careers, both of us. And then those different careers led us back to each other organically in a way where we were more balanced and we were more open and living from a healthier headspace where we could actually like converse and talk and wish well for each other, which was the wedge for us to really see each other, uh, kind of how we saw each other back when we were teenagers, right? Like the real you, the real Chase was able to talk to the real Megan or Mimi. And, um, that was, yeah, that was our wedge. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. That's the that's the bulleted. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A bulleted version. Um, but with the kind of evangelical or kind of conservative upbringing, something I noticed for myself is I when I stayed in a like the high school sweetheart relationship for way too long, that just like went to hell real quick. As soon as I left, as soon as I left my hometown, but even being honest with myself before that, it was like we committed not to not having sex, and that which just made the whole thing like we're frustrating as fuck. Like it just made the whole thing like there was just so much resentment there over a decision that we made at the very beginning, and then like. It, it it really re, re- kind of shaped the way that I look at the whole religious situation because like doing the right thing brought brought upon like the worst consequences and then I had to take the bear, bear the brunt for all of that as if like that was my fault that I was feeling like this was stupid but it seemed like and I noticed this when I got when I moved to Austin is like I don't think it was the church that did this but like that mentality or the impact that it has on the surroundings that of where I grew up I was so ill prepared just for living in a big city. Yeah, like just for living in Austin, I was like, I, it's like they benefit from keeping you naive as fuck. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter about relationships, life outside of that world. Because if you're scared to leave, right, which is an intimidating thing, it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life was like leaving all of that. Same, um, but it was terrifying, you know. And it's like, then most of my friends didn't, and it's okay. It's okay. They're happy. They do their thing. It's whatever. I don't. It's not a judgment, but it's just like, I don't think they could have left if they wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just got lucky. Yeah, I yeah. feel like, and then that that changed some things. And I was even involved in the church in college, and that was really interesting because then I got to see at the college level how churches would leverage sexuality for membership, but then shame sexuality. So they put you in this like negative feedback cycle, right? Where you would like play the stupid fucking games, where you put the orange under your chin. I'm like, you're just you're just giving these like 19 year old kids boners. Like that's what we're doing yeah. here. Like, yeah. like that's, that's the whole entire <laughs> point of this game. Like it's just to like flirt with that boundary. And then, you know, we get to watch, spend an hour of our time watching the, the college minister getting married and how beautiful that whole thing was and how they, it was the, the preacher of the main church's kid, um, how great that was and how, how beautiful because they waited till their marriage come to find out he was like sexually assaulting girls. Of course, dude. Of course, and I honestly, when I heard that, I was like, I feel bad for this guy because all the pressure he had on him to like re- restrain himself to where now when he gets into like a, a private room with a nineteen year old girl who like trusts him, what comes to the surface? And it's like that. By the time I was twenty one, I was like, I'm like active. It's not like I'm like, oh, I'm just like not not going to church anymore. It's like fuck this. Yeah, like I, I have problems here, and which left a huge void in my life, which was also really intimidating going into like moving to Austin, doing these different things and then having to like kind of reevaluate my own morality or like, <laughs> or like what the rules were. Now it's a really, it was a really strange, strange thing, but, and it's different. Like Southern Baptist is different than like evangelical. There's some differences, but generally the theme is kind of, it's, it seems so repressive. And it then is. I got into, you know, I, I would, the, the one thing that got me into like, I would say like spirituality or personal development, a lot of it was me being exhausted with all the resentment I had for the church. Yeah. So yeah. That led me to understanding, you know, that that's like, then you get into Sam Harris and mm-hmm. questioning kind of everything, which, which thanks to Buddhism, oddly enough, I got to a point where I was like, Oh, well I wouldn't have the desire to have questioned all of this stuff without that stuff existing in the first place. So I, me being a part of that thing actually created this giant void that I was able to then as an adult go in and like fill the void with what actually made sense for me. But I still, to this day, like when we get in these, like, you know, doing a lot of talk about politics and things like that, it's like you have all these people with moral outrage around like wokeism and children and protecting the kids. And I'm like, from the people who take zero responsibility for the damage that their belief system cause, you Mm -hmm. hypocritical motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, (laughs) first off, clean up your own fucking house before you go yelling about the purple haired kindergarten teacher talking, teaching gender ideology. Like, yeah, I, I, agree that that's a that's a problem but i know a total of zero people who have been impacted by that and i know dozens of marriages dozens of people who have been impacted negatively by your fucking hypocritical belief system and the leverage of shame that you propagate but you feel like it's virtuous so you get to hide behind your little virtue shield yeah. and then you get to criticize virtue signaling on the other side and that drives me up the fucking wall and i just can't and people it pisses people off because people do not like christians do not like being criticized no no there it's it's shame and fear yes. disguised as obedience to god and there's this purity yeah. culture especially as it pertains to sexuality that is so brutally toxic 
Like there is a legitimate fear if you're a part of the evangelical church, or, or I would imagine, you know, any church dynamic that even if you touch your penis, that like some lightning bolt from the sky is going to like strike <laughs> you down. Like it's, it's that scary. I mean, they're in middle school, we're signing like virginity cards that we're going to, you know, save ourselves till marriage. And, um, that is meanwhile, half the kids are like jerking off in the closet because they're so freaking so much pressure compressed yeah. and, and just. I mean, shit, like when you're, when you're a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid, it's all you can think about. And then if all you're thinking about is what your environment's telling you is sinful, like it is going to create a shit storm in your body. Yeah. I think for, at least in our experience, like for the, the teenage male, because it's all under the umbrella of wrong and bad. If you are having these feelings, if you are thinking about sex, if you are having sex with your teenage girlfriend or whatever, that all of it is bad. So you, you, you keep it hush. You don't, you don't talk about it in these environments because you're, you're essentially ashamed about it. And so it, what it does is it drives, I think, teenage boys towards things like porn addiction and an unhealthy relationship to sex and, and femininity. And then what it does, I think for, you know, I'm speaking generally, of course, but for a lot of young girls in that, uh, situation, maybe not more towards porn or anything, but it's just shame. It's just like you're cut off. It feels like a disability come as a woman coming out of the Christian church and all of a sudden, okay, now I have a ring on my finger and what you've told me for the past 22 years is wrong is now all of a sudden right and okay. And I should lean into it and be sexy and sensual. That doesn't happen. So women are walking around totally cut off from any healthy relationship with their sexuality. And then that also causes problems between the people because they've never been able to flex the muscle of developing a healthy relationship with sexuality and what that looks like. It even got to the point where at our Christian school that we went to, that we met at, there was no sexual education. There was nothing. So it was like the whole topic was wrong and bad and evil. So we, you know, we're going through this loop of, and as a guy, you know, I'm a kid figuring out, you know, my body and everything and, and you start jerking off and you immediately have this guilt. So it's like you have an orgasm, then you have guilt, then you get in a relationship and you're also figuring each other out. You're doing these things where you're learning each other's bodies and then you experience some level of like, even just like orgasm. And then it's immediate guilt try unprogramming that when you get married and then you're allowed to have sex, try unprogramming the guilt associated with just even having a sexual experience, even when it's technically allowed, it Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so it just morphs into this weird, bizarro version of like sexual interaction, even once it's approved. And then people, sorry, we're really on a rant now. And then (laughs) the people in the, you know, in the relationship don't know how to openly talk about the sex because it's, it's been, you know, taboo. And so even if Mm -hmm. dude girl is not having pleasure and, you know, it's, it's not a good experience for her. How is she supposed to bring that up? How is she even supposed to navigate it? Or, you know, like, it just doesn't foster healthy communication styles for something as important as sex, which we've talked about as like the lifeblood of a relationship for most people. If you don't know how to discuss something like that, good luck. Good luck, you know, staying together and having a happy, fulfilling relationship. Yeah. I mean, we look at, if you look at it too, and, and this is where the, the frustration comes from with me when it comes to apply, trying to apply the Bible to like modern standards. It's like, yeah, that might have worked when these kids were like 14 when they got married. Like if you right. got married at 23 in zero AD, <laughs> well, like you were old and like yeah. something yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. It's in this thing that's so funny. It's like, you know, these people that want to kind of grandstand on the religion as, as some kind of like moral high ground. I'm like, your God knocked up a 12 year old girl. Like, what are we talking about here? Do you right. believe that? And you want me to like listen to what the fuck you have to say about anything? <laughs> like you think that your dude dropped... You think that you, you think that somehow over, over centuries of time, you take G who I consider Jesus, one of the best metaphorical teachers. There are Jesus and the Buddha do a great job of teaching with metaphor. And you want to tell me that, that that hundreds or thousands of years after the fact, you're going to go tell me what in that old book actually happened and what is metaphor. If you think that I'm that fucking stupid, (laughs) that it's also been five languages ago, that was five languages in 2000 years. And you want to tell me that. Somebody, he literally walked on water, but this other thing over here was metaphorical. Yeah. It's like, you don't have any fucking idea what is what. Yeah. 
you know, so why don't we just ever, why don't you zoom out of this thing and look at it like Buddhists, Buddhists look at Buddhism, which is with zero attachment of it needing to be real because the stories have value that has zero to do with their actual factual existence, right? It's like, you can look at that and be like, wow, there's a good, there's a lesson in there. There's a, there's a, like, it doesn't matter if, if Siddhartha Gautama sat under the Bodhi tree for 30 actual days. It doesn't, that's, that's not the point. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You no, know what I mean? It's corporatized. You have to believe like, and it's been totally leveraged as a control mechanism. Yeah. Like you are talking about, you're propagating the same belief system that justified the monarchy. Do you understand this? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you want me to operate with that reality? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. And it drives me, it drives me up the wall. I mean, it really, it's something I'm super passionate about because I'm like, you, these people are the one thing that it, believe whatever you want to believe. I couldn't give two shits less, but do not think that you can project your bullshit on other people without taking responsibility for the shortcomings of your own belief system. If you can do that, if you can take it, take responsibility for everything from the inquisition to sex shame, to the negative consequences it's had on our current society. If you can do that, then I can listen to your criticisms of other belief systems, but I don't want to hear a goddamn word. If you can't totally. And I think the reality is, is that most people who are sitting as, you know, congressional members of these church institutions don't know that history, which is unfortunate, but it's like, I got to a Christian college, actually a Presbyterian college where we went full into history of the Christian religion, other religions, psychology, sociology, theology. I got three years into it and I was like, I'm not buying this bullshit. There are contradictions <laughs> everywhere. And it's, it's been completely corporatized and it makes sense, right? Like if, you, if you're trying to keep people in a funnel, like literally a sales funnel, you're not going to be telling them about alternative yeah. options or just the, the consistency with metaphor across numerous cultures that are speaking of the same types of principles. So when, then what do they have to do? They have to teach that it's the only way and they have to literalize everything to keep people in the funnel. Because if you start to layer in the fact that the reality is there is similar metaphor across most cultures, religions, philosophies, it's going to be like, Hey, so I can kind of pick and choose and just maybe, maybe, maybe you don't even have to choose. I can just sort of live my life intuitively through some of these major human archetypes, but they have to literalize it all to keep you in the funnel, to keep you coming back, to have this sort of sin, guilt, ask for forgiveness, feedback mm -hmm. loop to keep you sort of in this like positive game so that you can get to heaven. And it's just, it's a wild effective, unfortunately, historically pretty effective mechanism for, for keeping people to come back. And encouraging people to get married when they're young and have a bunch of kids because then there's, I mean, you're, you're, you're gonna, you gotta have, you gotta meet the replacement rate. Right. right? Because not all, if you have five kids, yeah, it's a retention strategy. Probably gonna bounce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Um, do you still feel like death? Cause I'm not feeling super great. No, I feel awful. It's fucking bullshit. It is honestly, I'm just so frustrated. I don't like this. I'm not a weak person. I mean, that's debatable. What? <laughs> so uh, Connor and I have had, I've had COVID for sure. He's had the flu, but I'm pretty sure he had COVID too. I think the flu and COVID fucked inside of me. Yeah, they and did. And had a child. Yep. And that child is being birthed out it's, of my sinuses right now. It's running rampant around your body. I can't, dude. This is, this is the worst. So I, here's the only know. positive about the last nine days of 10 days of our, hell, maybe 11 days. <laughs> it's been, I think I'm on day 12. Okay. But I was sick before you got home. Well, here's the only positive is that we have been sleeping well. Thanks to Cured. I don't think That's, I would have slept at all if it wasn't for some Cured. I know. The first four days, I was just rolling around. Like it was, it, days were indistinguishable from one another. But once things started settling down, I was so grateful for that sleep. I know. We had, <laughs> we, so we always do this, but I was very diligent about it while we were sick. Zen and nightcaps. Um, it, I was having so much leg pain early on in the week. Um, I couldn't sleep. It felt like restless leg syndrome and just so much pain. And as soon, and I was gone when I was first sick, I was in LA when I got sick. So I didn't bring it with me cause I'm an idiot. But when I got home and I started taking the Zen and nightcaps every night, I slept so much better. We've been sleeping like 11 and 12 hours a night. And it's literally the only thing that we've got going for us right now. Yeah. Well, it's good. And you should keep some on hand, everybody. Yes. And make sure you take it with you when you travel and don't be a fucking idiot like me. I can imagine being, if you're traveling and having to stay in places that are unfamiliar, because that always fucks with my sleep. Yeah. That would be really helpful just to zonk you out. So helpful. 
Um, so yeah, go ahead and go to the link in the show notes and check out Cured Zen and Nightcaps. Mix them together. You can get one them separately. One in one though, guys. Don't go too deep with Yeah, those you things. don't need a ton. It's They're very powerful and potent. Best ingredients on the market. Um, but yeah, one in one of those. And you can use the code OKBABE for 10% off. Um, but we highly recommend this. No matter whether you're sick or not, just fucking take this shit. Just enjoy. Enjoy the sleep. I'm so curious. You know, Chase, it sounds like you sort of went down this path of questioning religion before Mimi got to it. But how did you guys help unravel together mm. what you had been through, the beliefs you had been taught, the shaming? Because it feels like that's really is so much of your relationship has been supporting each other in this unraveling, in the unlearning. And then when you have more of a clean slate, rediscovering who you are as individuals and together. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question, and I don't I don't think anyone's ever asked us that that exact question. Um, I would say I'll I'll speak for myself when we were separated, and I was um, kind of on this healing self development journey. I really I, I was still uh, going to a church that was really great for me at the time. It really provided really solid community that I needed at the time. Like I was done partying. I just needed like good people around me that cared about me, and that is the the part of church that I will vouch for is that certain churches like do provide community of people. And I was going to like a really young kind of progressive church and I was surrounded by, you know, 20 somethings, 30 somethings. And it felt like I, that was where exactly where I needed to be. I can look back now and see that that was a really important part of my journey. But on my own, I started studying only Jesus in the Bible and in the New Testament. Like that was it. And when I really dove into uh, studying him as a teacher, that kind of opened up my mind to just some of the different concepts and parables and things like that. So then I wasn't like super, you know, gung ho on everything is literal in the Bible. I was trying to expand my own mind. And it was really starting with studying Jesus. And then when we got back together, I, I probably when we got back together, I w- still would have ha- uh, identified as a Christ follower or a Christian per se, but I was, my mind was open and, uh, I wasn't fixed. Um, I I really wanted to learn. I, 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 I wanted to know truth. And so I think that that's a really good starting point for anyone who feels this kind of push and pull on their religion or religious background is just have an open mind, be like, allow yourself the space to change your mind. If it resonates with you, like following your intuition. So I will say that's how I started navigating this space. And then once we got back together and started having, um, conversations and experiences together, I really was, my mind was kind of blown open, but you know, the first time that we did mushrooms together because I felt my soul speaking to me and that was more impactful than any prayer I've ever said, than any God experience that I've ever had or Jesus experience that I may have had in in the past. Listening and um, communicating with my own soul was like, whoa, what was that? And so that blew the doors open to there's more inside of me than I thought. And then I, uh, that was just took me down a rabbit hole of, um, reading some Christian mystic books and then the law of one and then, and so on and so forth. So you can maybe speak to how we came together and how we navigated that together. But that was my personal journey from Christianity to more of these esoteric universal truths that really resonate with me now. Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple things speaking to your point about the church community and the dynamic of what a kind of a progressive fun, like uh, really cool church can provide is this, it's almost like ex- they provide ecstatic dance and they provide sound healing. And like these, these ceremonies that are done prior to the actual preacher get you in this like really esoteric metaphysical state. And you're like, damn, this is real because I'm on fire. Like Mm -hmm. I am so on fire. I don't care what he says next. This is real. And I think for me, like that is a very feminine thing to be kind of intuitive and in that flow. It's a lot easier for the feminine to drop into that space for me as a masculine who was told for, you know, the love of God, don't ever show gentleness. Don't ever show softness. I was uber masculine through my youth and through my, um, like early career. So I get in my twenties and I'm in college, I'm an athlete and I'm starting, I, who never felt sort of the flowiness of the church dynamic. I'm rationalizing it now. And I'm really starting to rationalize 
and put this thing into structure and seeing all the gaps and all the holes. And so in my, you know, out of balance masculine, I'm like, fuck this. I'm like, literally we're married and I'm, I'm like ready at dinner to just shit on the church. And I got a list of a thousand things that are wrong. And that was just the opposite of what, you know, fostering healthy uh, relationship looked like, the but safety, it, yeah. but in no safety. Right. But I'm doubling down on my own departure. So I'm really similar. Like I'm going through uh, Sam Harris. I'm running through like scientific materialists. I'm just like binging YouTube content about, you know, all the ways that Christianity is wrong. Um, and so I'm, I'm in the Dawkins for hours and totally. Yeah. And I'm deep, I'm deep <laughs> into it. I get down to San Diego and I kind of like go through my own health journey. I hit my, my health brick wall and have to really start looking more holistically get a, get exposed to different communities and, and friends who are in more of this kind of like hippie camp. And, and I decided to do like a really deep mushroom journey and I'm 28 years old and I have just a fucking profound experience. And so I went from scientific materialist to holy shit, there's something, um, there's something outside of this, you know, chemical combination that we walk through in life. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's definitely, greater than myself. And it, it somehow is, is connected to all of us. And so with that, I just stepped into a much more empathetic state. I think I was really able to tap into some of the, you know, intuitive, uh, nature of just like, you know, what the metaphysical is like. And I started appreciating the Bible a little bit more. Um, so as we got back together, it wasn't any longer this, like, point of contention, rather this point of conversation that we could just continue to mm -hmm. evolve from and realize yeah. that there are serious limitations, but there is a seed of something beautiful. And like, where can that go? What, mm -hmm. what can this actually point to? And that was been... like, sorry, I was just gonna say, it was like, you were softening yeah. and I was opening. So there was like a middle ground coming together when we, when we were, you know, talking about like, okay, are we going to do this? Get back together as divorced individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it got to this point where it was like actually a really nice starting point for us to just evolve our relationship and realize that there isn't boundaries. There isn't, it, it doesn't have to be confined and it's, it's, it still serves. Like it is still fun to one shit on the church, uh, two, also see that there are some core values that are really nice to like extrapolate and, and, and point almost like give credit to the fact that long ago there was something right here. It's mm -hmm. just gotten really twisted along the way. Yeah. I, I firmly believe that if Jesus was alive today in 2022 and took a look at the church and everything that they've done and all of that, like the crusades and all the stuff, their history, he would be like, that's not what I meant. Like you're doing this in my name. Y'all yeah. <laughs> yeah. got it wrong. Yeah. The fuck you are. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. It's the psychedelic conversation to me is really funny because it, having had experience with a, a various variety of, of plants, um, it makes the Bible make sense. And they have yeah, this adversarial relationship with psychedelics, but I'm like, you look at it and I'm like, it, it actually helped. Ayahuasca was what was kind of the catalyst for me letting go. I mean, I still shit on the church a lot, but it's like not from, it's from a place of like snarkiness and yeah. just like humor more than it is resentment. Like it's not, it's not like cold and, and hateful as like it, like it used to be. Yeah. But that was, that was due to an ayahuasca experience where I felt like I was interacting with this Christ consciousness figure that kind of was a voice and not, and then it was, it was me and this, this consciousness, whatever the fuck it was, just watching humanity and like flat fast forward through history and just kind of like laughing at it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. This is weird. <laughs> it was one of those things where you look at that, you look at the different, the different stories and the mysticism and you're like, I psychedelics make this whole thing make so much more mm -hmm. sense. And that the frustrating thing when it comes to talking to people about that and trying to articulate that with someone who maybe doesn't have almost exclusively someone who doesn't have psychedelic experience is their immediate response to that is thinking that the, you're belittling their religion. And I'm like, well, no, 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 that's not, this is not, this is a, just trying to make it, making it make sense in a more mm -hmm. grounded way and saying like, there's access to things bigger than yourself. Just like if you, if you're ever in a real thunderstorm, a real lightning storm, you totally can understand why somebody would have thought up Thor. Yeah. Right. That yeah. Like, you know, in a real lightning storm, storm with no real idea what's going on. You're like, I can see how someone thought there was a demigod up there. Yeah, like, definitely. So hammering it's, it's actually kind of fucking cool <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty sweet assumption to make but um does it doesn't make it less than or anything else just the same way i'm like hey if the burning bush was dmt 
the burning bush was DMT. The yeah. lessons are the lessons and it doesn't matter because I'm not attached to what your assumptions of this thing being fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have zero attachment to those things. And also I'm not, I don't believe your thing is sacred. So I look at it as something that's unsacred the same way I look at anything else. Like at politics, I don't believe are sacred. Right? I don't think the, the federal government is sacred. So I can look at it through an objective lens and be like, here's where I'm at. Yeah. And it's so strange to me because it just, it, it, it would help them so much to kind of like try and reconcile that with that, with an open mind. And it, it just seems out of, out of step with reality that they it, would ever actually do that. It's really tough because especially like, you know, American Christianity and, and like Republican Christianity, which is they're, they're, they've really stuck to this like rational, they, they try to approach the religion very rationally. And they're even, they're even threatened when you bring up the fact that like, Hey, there's actually historical evidence that this person was fasted for a week and chanting in a cave to come up with this, you know, metaphor in the Bible. And that's like challenging and, and really, really tough for them to hear. The hard part about like religion, especially is, is so many of these things were, were based on experience and then done to the best of their capabilities articulated. What we try to do now is not experience it. We try to rationalize the everything. I mean, there are people who dedicate their entire lives to defending and rationalizing and scientifically validating something like the Bible. And the, the, the truth of it is, is it, it's a protocol and it's a, it's a kind of a haphazardly put together protocol, but it's a protocol for experiencing something outside of just the physical. And if you look at it like it's like it's very masculine and rational, you're going to run into contradictions or you're going to be a super defensive asshole. If you look at it like a protocol to experiencing something that's a little bit outside of yourself with beautiful meta- metaphor and storytelling that if you can kind of like not worry about some of the uh, really specific details that are kind of layered into the to the book itself, you can actually have a really beautiful experience mm-hmm. with God or whatever you want to call it. It's just that we, we've forgotten that piece of the experience and, and, and the ritual and the practice and like the historical church shit. I mean, they're, they're using like sativa and they're, they're throwing out like, you know, various beer and and they're doing anything they can to get out of this 3d world. The funny thing to me, when I look at it, that's, that trips me out is, is when you do look at the commonalities between across uh, belief systems. There's this book called uh, God is not one, which I thought was really, it just kind of breaks down the five or six major religions and where they have overlap. And it's each chapter is dedicated to it, like Judaism, Christianity, Islam, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought it was, I thought that was such a profound book because when I, after I finished that, and this was during my like peak kind of Sam Harris phase end of faith phase, um, I got to thinking, well, most people that have these dogmatic beliefs want to think that human nature is the product of a God or a religion or a belief system, right? When, if you look at it, that all the evidence points the opposite direction, that these belief systems and stories and fables and metaphors and, and human, it's, it's all the product of, of, of an, of developing human nature. Like it's the manifestation of human nature, not the other way around. So you have it backwards. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're, they're not all the same because there's one deity that right. is like constructing these things. It's it's because human nature has similarities across across cultures. Across it's it's, it's what it is. Mm-hmm. And people do weird things, right? The Aztecs love mushrooms and human sacrifice. And I, when Christians get really upset with me, because I'm like, you worship human sacrifice, and they're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, but you do. And and and, and I'm like, explain to me how it's not human sacrifice without using magic, right? And people get really upset about that. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Like, but it was for, it was a justification because of, of, of cleansing of the sins. And I was like, well, I'm sure the Aztecs were justified in their human sacrifice too, because they believed it did something positive for them. So that doesn't count as human sacrifice. Then what you do doesn't count as that human sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? So you can get yourself tangled up in this. It's like, it's the narcissism of believing that your perspective is the correct one, regardless of the fact that it really just has to do with where you fell out of a person. It's like, it's like, Oh, you just happened to be born three blocks away from the correct religious beliefs. <laughs> the, the, the true facts. Right. I used to think that as it was three blocks away from the yeah. hospital you were born in. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is quite profound. <laughs> what a love. It's like winning the Chills lottery. Him. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> It's a good time though. I enjoy, I enjoy, I'm glad you guys were willing to go there. Oh yeah. Um, so I want to get back to sex. Oh wow. Great. Um, just do it. Know, full circle. I would like to get back to sex too. It's been a long yeah. time. <laughs> we could have sex. Yeah. Speaking of that. 
Um, <laughs> COVID does not make you want to have sex. I don't know how it was for you guys. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't remember. Kind of a, yeah, yeah kind no. of a, kind of a cock block. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a, a bit of a lull in our yeah. sex life. Yeah. Um, no, but I was just thinking about, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up Catholic, but like not in the church. And so for me, my shame was more around sexuality. It was, I started masturbating when I was five. I was told by my mom and my teacher, like, we don't do that. Like, blah, blah, blah. And so then I just never did it again until I was in college and after. And then realizing I'm bisexual a few years ago and having all this shame around like, that's gross. You're going to disappoint your parents. That's not okay. Um, and so my sex life in shame. And then my sex life, I wouldn't say post shame, because I still feel like it comes up sometimes. But with less is drastically different. And so I'm just curious what that has looked like for you guys, the shameful sex that you were having. And then I'm guessing it's a lot better now and you've had to work on it. So what has that process been like? Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, a really great, good, it's a great question. Really and question. It, it kind of trickles into like everything we do and talk about on our podcast, even to the degree of like, the products that we offer we're really focused on removing transactional relationships with human beings, with our romantic partners, of course, but also like the earth and our bodies and ourself and so much of what we came out of. And I think so much of just the mainstream world is very, very transactional. And despite all of the, you know, words of uh, and mentions of freedom, it's not very free. And so like core values for us are relationships. And I mean that in the most broad sense and freedom. And in part two is what we like to call this. Uh, we're still ex-husband and wife, but we're, we're in this sort of like part two of our relationship. The foundation is just radical freedom and acceptance to who you are today and who are you showing up today. I think one of the biggest issues with our marriage is that we both started changing and it was threatening. I think I mentioned that already. It was just threatening to the dynamic of the relationship. Stack that with a very transactional perspective on what sex looks like. I think that in the mainstream world, it's very like for men, especially, or, or for masculine energy, it's, it's like a, I use this analogy sometimes, it's like a blacksmith where you're expected sexually to just like pound the shit out of what you're working on. What does a blacksmith create from that mentality? It creates like weapons. It creates like a, a pretty sharp um, product. Yeah. Sharp experience. And that's, I think what like out of balance masculinity can look like different from what, what, you know, somebody like David data would articulate masculinity as, which is just like a container. And so instead of a blacksmith, I think it's really important, especially in sex, uh, to, to have a penetrating container. And so it's this, it's this masculine approach to being of course penetrating, but then having a level of container so that your partner can be completely free and mm -hmm. the feminine can be completely free to be herself. I think that's what gets missed in our culture, the way that we were brought up, even in the mainstream. And so like, you know, be the, be the artist, be the, be the potter who puts his hand into the clay and shapes it, but allows some level of freedom. And, and that's kind of like how we approach sexuality. Now it's how we approach our life now is that it's radical acceptance and freedom for whatever you're bringing to the table today. And I think with those, it's been really much more simple to navigate just mm -hmm. how we're showing up sexually, how we're showing up just in what we're thinking, how we're acting. Um, but like coming back to just the, the foundation of how we do everything is, is really like, this needs to be a relationship, it, which, which allows change and it, it allows opportunity. Um, but it also is really based in this like freedom mm -hmm. to show up. Yeah. I would say, you know, uh, more specifically from my perspective, I don't know if Chase necessarily dealt with this, but like I explained earlier, a Christian girl coming out of the church, there's a lot of shame, uh, you know, connected to sexuality and sensuality. So a lot of women are getting into sexual experiences, myself included, where it's like, I know kind of like one way to do it and this is what works. And you kind of get like robotic, like we got robotic in our sex life when we were married. Um, kind of like transactional, like Chase, Chase was talking about, because I didn't have any sort of like free flowing connection to pleasure and my body. And even going as far as like um, expressing to Chase when I want to have sex, like when I'm horny and maybe he's not. And, you know, just showing him and being like almost like the the feminine takes on the penetration there. And for a masculine who might be out of balance, that can be disarming, you know, especially I think that was what was going on with us was like, it was disarming when I would open myself up a little bit 
And so then I, you know, not, not shitting on Chase or anything or our experience, but this is just kind of how it was because we didn't allow freedom. We weren't taught that we didn't have the tools, any like sort of show of sensuality from my perspective was kind of squashed or at least not like allowed to really flourish. And so that I kind of just suppressed that side of me. Um, and I just kind of, you know, shut that off. Like, okay, I can only tell him that I want to have sex when he wants to have sex first. And you play, you start playing these like mind games. And now it's just like, we're just, we're more open about it. And, And I am more like, I have a solo practice. Like I know Kelly, I know you've talked about this before. I think I've heard on a a couple different podcasts from you, like the importance of women to have their own solo practice connection doesn't always have to be like, oh, I masturbate every single day to be connected to my pleasure. It can be right here sitting in the chair and just feeling like, oh my gosh, my skin is so soft. Oh, the sun shining on my, my face or the birds chirping, like all of that is pleasure. And when you are connected to pleasure in every, like every sense, that allows you to really, as a feminine, open up into the pleasure that is also sex. Like we talk about sex is not just in the bedroom, it's all day. It's the yeah. connection all day. And if you haven't experienced that, someone could listen and be like, what? But it's everything. It's your first, your connection to yourself and your own pleasure. So I would say for, for me, that was the most um, significant piece of me opening up in our sexuality together. And part two is like just my connection to myself first. And then when I am free myself, that also frees Chase. Yeah, totally. It, it, we had this like you know, we're kids, we're figuring each other's bodies out. It's a ton of fun. Like just an absolute blast as kids, like just getting to figure it all out. Feeling guilty, of course, because we're told it's... it's but not in the moment feeling guilty. But not in the moment. <laughs> but then we get into marriage and we've got, you know, work-life stresses and everything. And sex turned into this, like, when I get off the plane on Friday, we will rub our bodies together and then we will <laughs> orgasm and that will be sex. And then now we live in this world of like, hey, baby, it's all the time. Like, even yeah. if we don't have intercourse today, let's, let's, let's go. Yeah. Let's have sex. Like energetically, emotionally... And it's that level of, of freedom. And mm-hmm. I think that's, it's helpful to have the context of, you know, what it can look like very transactionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, and we're still figuring it out. We're still uncovering and discovering what yeah, that means today. That's, that's what makes it fun is like when you just allow that freedom for yourself and each other, like you're allowed to like bloom, you know, what, how we're experiencing sex and sensuality together today is going to look completely different in a year or five years or 10 years. And, and I hope it does. That means that we are growing and continuing to open uh, with each other and individually. Mm. As you guys were talking, I was thinking about something I said, I don't know, it was probably two years ago um, on a podcast. And I was saying that I have done so much work with Connor. Connor has been in this with me. And my old pattern is to always run when something gets hard. And much of our relationship has really been like pulling that apart and understanding it. And I remember thinking, I don't want someone else to get the best version of me. I don't want to think the grass is going to be greener. Oh, I'll just be better with them. Mm -hmm. I'm in this with him. We are working on this. We are growing. We are evolving. We are changing together. And I want him to always have the best version of me. Now, if he's a horrible person, like that's a different conversation, but he's not. And I think that what is so cool about what you guys have created is that you have become the best versions of yourselves with each other, even after leaving each other, losing each other for a period of time you came back to one another and continued to evolve and grow and to show up for yourselves and for each other. And I think that that's something, I don't know if that's our generation or what, but it feels like people have lost the ability to fight for something and to be the best versions of themselves for the person that they've been in it with. It's like, damn, we've been through a lot. Let's just like move on to someone else and start fresh. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so cool. The example that the both of you are setting, especially for people our age and younger of look what it gets to look like if you show up, if you come back, if you ask better questions of yourself and your partner. I think it's just such a beautiful thing that we don't often see. And I just, I want to give you guys so much credit because I think you deserve it. Like I, I I don't, we, no one will ever know the ins and outs of your relationship. And I'm sure there have been horrible moments and amazing moments, but to watch you guys continue to show up and to be those people for each other, it's just, 
it's really profound to me. And I, I just want to honor that. Mm, yeah. Thank you. I received that. Thank you so much. I, my dad, when we were thinking about getting back together, um, and there was obviously some resistance from our community and family and everything, but he said something so profound and, and, and I still think it's like one of the greatest quotes of all time. And he's like, son, your shit is always going to surface. So it doesn't matter who you move on to, what job you move on to, where you live, your shit is always going to surface. So it's not a question of, you know, is Megan right for you as much as is she the person you want to work through your shit with? And it was like, it's simple, but it was really profound. And I was like, damn it. You know what? Like there's nobody else that I would rather work through this with than, than her, you know? Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. It's, it's a, okay. I would say a core, core value of, of ours is that is like continuing to work on ourselves at the same time, you know, with each other. So, yeah. So beautiful. I love it. So we've talked about mushrooms a bit. I want to talk um, about your HCC. I've been taking it for, I don't know, what, a year or so? Yeah. How long have you had it Is that it what out? made your boobs big? Yes, that's <laughs> what made my boobs big. I DM'd Mimi. I'm like, um, is this normal? My boobs are yeah. huge. And she's like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we got our private label literally like a month before the world blew up. Like it was like September 2019. Um, so we've been providing it to the world for uh, a little over two and a half years or so. And uh, I'm, I'm, it was just divine timing the way that it all worked out because it's, it's the world's most clinically researched specialty immune supplement. And then three months later, the world now on a global level is aware of how important immune health is. So it couldn't have worked out better. Um, I mean, I could spend two hours talking about the <laughs> badassery of immune Intel HCC, but yeah, it's really a huge passion of ours. Um, as we, you know, we, we discuss all types of health on our podcasts and, and, uh, we are huge proponents of addressing every aspect of your life and making sure that the relationship with whatever it is, is the, the healthiest possible. So whether it's your physical body or God or the earth or your partner, whatever it is, and, um, so along the lines of physical health, uh, AHCC is a, a wedge. It's a gateway for people to really start leaning into the magic that exists inside their body because AHCC, be, even though it is effective for all types of conditions and diseases like Lyme, HPV, cancer, autoimmune skin conditions, you know, all of those things, it's not it's not an HPV supplement. It's not a Lyme supplement, et cetera. It's a body supplement. It's actually helping your body to become more intelligent, your immune system specifically. And so then your, your, it's like your own like innate divine magic that exists within your body is now able to perform its functions. So I don't know how that tra translates to bigger boobs. Honestly, I don't, but obviously your body was like, we need these to be bigger. Um, so I say yeah. all that just because it's, it's a total body supplement and it really helps ignite the magic that already exists. The intelligence that already exists that cannot be matched by anything, but the mushrooms just help bring it to life and, and inject this level of intelligence and almost like calmness when the body feels stressed, it's not putting energy towards healing when the body feels balanced and calm then, and, and you inject some more intelligence. Now it can heal. Now it can do what it's meant to do, which is heal. We were created to heal ourselves. Um, so yeah, that's a little mini intro for HCC. Yeah, HCC is like wildly amazing. She, she turned me onto it you know, a couple years ago. Um, she actually went all the way to Japan to like, you know, vet this thing, make sure the supply chain was legit, make sure the manufacturing was legit. And the mushroom space is a little weird because there's a bunch of garbage. There's a bunch of like uh, cheap manufactured mushroom products where people essentially just take the growing mediums, which are loaded with like mycelium and, and grains, and they just kind of grind it up and turn it into a powder, throw it into a capsule. And so there's actually been a lot of uh, this, this debate between like the fruiting body, 100% mushroom or myceliated grain. So there's this kind of debate between the two. What's really great about AHCC is that it's pure mycelium. So mycelium is the root structure of the mushroom. It's got a ton of advantages, even to the fruiting body. It's got alpha glucans, which are these 
immunomodulating adaptogens, different from beta-glucans, which are in the fruiting body. And unique to AHCC alone is that they go through this long duration um, mm -hmm. filtering process to essentially like exfoliate anything except pure mycelium. They then take the mycelium, it's, it's from shiitake mushrooms specifically, and then they, you know, encapsulate it and it's, and it's offered to the world as like a highly effective adaptogen supplement. Really cool because there's just so much garbage around mycelium, which is, which is an amazing piece of the mushroom, but like it is damn near impossible to find mycelium without any of this other uh, the grains, you know, grains and, and fillers and everything. And things so, like that. So it is truly one of a kind mushroom unicorn. And we've received at this point, thousands of reviews and testimonials from people that it's like, I, we can never stop talking about this. It's too incredible. Yeah. I just want to add to my experience. It's hard for you guys legally to like say things, but yeah. For me, I think the boob thing, uh, I think my hormones were just super out mm. of whack. And I noticed that my period, my cramps, just my body, everything about it was totally different mm. after just a month or so of taking the HCC. And I, I mean, I've had steady periods, 28, 29 day cycles on the dot. Um, and it has been, I mean, just drastically different in my body. Every time we get sick, we're taking a ton of them um, because I know just how much it supports your immune system and your body. And I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I recommend it to everyone, anyone who's struggling with like acne, um, any autoimmune disease, I've bought it for a ton of people and just sent it to them. I'm like, you have to take this. It's so powerful. And I think the other, other thing to me is, yes, it is. It it it's not a cheap supplement that you're going to get on the shelf at CVS. Yay! Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> wants to do that, but it also to me, I don't feel like I have to take so many supplements because I do have this. If that's the only thing I take during the day, I feel amazing about that because I know the quality. I know how much you go through to make sure it's the best of the best, and. So to me, I'm like, I'm giving my body everything it needs within just a couple capsules. Um, and so I just, I wanted to add that in. And I know you guys are also launching something this summer that I'm really fucking excited about. Yeah. So about that. Yeah. So we have spent the last two years keeping this secret, working on our own mushroom formulation, and it is going to be launching this summer. It's called Mushy Love Latte, and uh, the flavor is cinnamon swirl, so it, it tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll. And there's a few things that differentiate this product from other mushroom products on the market. So the two mushrooms that we use in this formulation are chaga and tremella. Chaga, most people know what that is. It's a super immune modulating. They actually nickname it the cancer fungus because it's so wonderful for the immune system but it's also great for skin health and gut health. And then the other mushroom, Tremella, is the beauty mushroom. She is the fucking queen of hydration and beauty. This mushroom in the Chinese dynasties were basically reserved for royalty. So that's how powerful it is. It holds 25 times its weight in water in your cells. And we all know, I'm sure, uh, but just as a reminder, like your cells need to be hydrated to continue their functions. So it's not just about beauty. It's not just about hydration. It's about functionality as well. So we include 500 milligrams of chaga and tremella both, which is about three to four times the amount as other mushroom elixirs out there. Most other mushy elixirs are using about 200 to 300 milligrams. We're using a full gram of mushrooms and we like would not, it, it does make it more expensive to create, but we wouldn't go lower than that because we want this to be effective in the body. And it also contains maple sugar instead of any like weird gut disrupting, you know, stevia or monk fruit or, you know, artificial sweeteners like that. Um, even though they're kind of tried and true, it's like some people don't do well with them. So we just wanted to stay super pure. And then we also have lacuma, which is a really amazing Peruvian root. We have slippery elm bark. We have cinnamon, of course, the cinnamon swirl latte. Um, and then uh, sea salts. What else we got in there? That's it. Yeah. yeah nailed so it. it's a really clean ingredient list and three to four times the amount of other mushroom products. So those are the major like differentiators. I love it. I'm so excited. And you guys, I think I saw on your Instagram this morning, you have an email list that people can sign up for when it launches, right? Yeah, absolutely. So in the show notes. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's just on our, it's on our website and you can go there and, and put in your information and we will add you to our close friends list on Instagram and you can see 
Um, you'll get exclusive discounts, you'll get early access to the pre-sale, and then you'll also be able to see kind of the behind the scenes, um, up close content of as we get ready to launch this. So dope. I'm so happy for you guys. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited about it. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show and screaming about Jesus with (laughs) (laughs) Colin. Hopefully it wasn't too offensive for people, but it's like we only speak to things that we have experience with. Yeah. Like we're speaking to our experience and how this affected us directly in our lives. If it's doing wonderful things for you, cool. You do you, babe. Exactly. Well, I love you guys. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It's a blast. 